for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. I'm joined by two very special guests today. We have our current Alumni Association President, Kevin Rich from the class of 07, as well as TJ Basala from the class of 2006. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us today. Jag, great to talk to you, buddy. Great to be here with you guys. One of the through lines that we've seen throughout the podcast is the lifelong friends that have been made at the station. I know the two of you are extremely close and have been since you were in school. Tell me the story of how you got to the station and how you met and how you became such good friends. You want to take it away, TJ? Or you want me to? Yeah, I'd be happy to, K. Rich. I'd be happy to. I'll back clean up on the story. There's so many JPZers who knew about JPZ before they got to Syracuse started on day one. I am not one of those JPZers. JPZ was just not on my radar, but I got towards the end of my sophomore year. I was happy at SU, but I, there were just things that, that were missing. And a dorm mate of mine said, hey, I'm enjoying myself at WJPZ. I'd heard about it. I said, well, you should really look into it. And I said, oh, okay. And I ended up signing up at the spring recruitment meeting at the end of my sophomore year. And so I got involved headfirst into it, doing sports, doing announcing, doing Z Morning Zoo. I was jumping right into it. I still at this point had not met Kevin Rich. I didn't even know the name Kevin Rich at this point. <laughs> but because I'm one of those gung-ho, jump in, get involved with everything, and I'm now a full active member of the station, I made sure to sign up for the fall recruitment fair where Syracuse has the quad. If it's a perfect day in the fall, every student activities group sets up on the quad and they try to recruit new members. So, of course, I am like, I got to volunteer. I'm, I'm new to this. I got I'm, I'm behind. I have to go volunteer. So I agree to help work the tables and I'm working the tables. And those who don't know me, even though I went to Syracuse, I love Syracuse and I grew up in the suburbs of Cleveland. I am a diehard Michigan football fan, have been my whole life. Right. Go, blue, Go blue. Go blue, baby, always. I am working the table. I am wearing JPZ gear. And up to the table, the check-in on the table comes this guy wearing a loud maze t-shirt. <laughs> and it's a Michigan football t-shirt. So, of course, how my brain works, what are the first words out of my mouth to this man? The first words out of my mouth to this man are, Go blue. Nice. What is his first words back to me? Go blue. And the rest is history. It all started not with Syracuse, not with radio, but with Michigan football that has stuck now for almost 20 years. Kevin, is that story accurate? Yeah, the best part of that was like I had good reason to be a Michigan fan. I, I grew up going to the Michigan games. My dad and I had season tickets. You know, he worked six days a week as a pharmacist, ran, you know, nine pharmacies in Metro Detroit. Saturdays was his only day off. And that was our bonding yeah. time was going to Michigan games. And I just was laughing because when I met this guy, I'm thinking, oh, he must be from Michigan. Like it must be, <laughs> he must have gone to some high school down the road. Maybe we'd been to games together, didn't know each other. Lo and behold, this guy tells me he's from Ohio and he's a Michigan fan. And that's when I knew I really liked the guy that he could uh, live in that state and be a Michigan fan. And we developed a great friendship ever since. And Jag, to your point, lifelong friendships, I was the best man at his wedding. Uh, he's going to be the best man at, at my wedding coming up. And uh, we've just had just this relationship that we could even go a week or so without talking to each other. And the second that we do, 
you know, we pick right back off where we were. So take me back to your time at the station. What significant events stick out to the both of you about your time there, things that happened at the station that, that really either were significant in the station's history or professional lessons you learned at the station you've taken with you in your great careers that we'll get into here shortly. I'd start off by saying, you know, we were one of the rare years that we needed to do a license renewal. Mm. We had no idea what we were doing <laughs> and how to do it. And I think that's really the power of our network. For my role as GM, I was able to pick up the phone and call uh, Dina Jacoby and say, hey, I, I see on our license, you were the last person that was a student GM here that had to deal with this. And she walked me through who to talk to and, and what to do. And I remember climbing up Day Hall on a 20 degree winter snowy day <laughs> with the uh, RF consultant who had to, you know, figure out the levels because we were getting contested by the name John Oldfield probably sticks out to uh, some people that tried to botch our license the last time and didn't want us uh, broadcasting. I would say rest in peace, but, you know. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> there was no love lost there, uh, unfortunately, but. You know, just dealing with that, which we had to, you know, really bring a staff together and figure out like, what is a license renewal? And we're not just students being able to have fun behind the microphone and laugh and enjoy our time here. You know, we actually have to do some professional things here, like uh, get this license renewed so all the great people in the area can continue to enjoy our products. So that was one that really sticks out, especially putting 19 to 21 year old students in a situation that they'd never really been a part of before. TJ? For me, the what stands out, and I was lucky, I will say I was blessed at the time to be a very active member of the station, a senior announcer, but not member of exec staff. So I got to hear all the complaints. I got to support all the stuff, but I didn't have to do any. What I got to do and what we got to do was we were the group that brought Friday Night Football back to WJPZ. I wasn't involved in the decision to bring Friday Night Football back, but I was very active in helping make sure that it was successful. And we you're bringing a bunch of kids who are from the East Coast, from New Jersey, from the Midwest, from California, and you're teaching them to broadcast high school football about Central New York high schools, about Fayetteville Manly, CNS, Henniger, CBA, and putting these broadcasts on the air in these, dare I say, mostly decrepit high school stadiums <laughs> around Central New York with some of the worst equipment setups you've ever seen in 2004 and five, when we didn't have the technology that we do today, and no offense to central New York, this is not Texas or Florida <laughs> where high school football is king. This is upstate New York. But we were proud of the packages we put on. We put every effort in. I love the Friday nights I spent at Baldwinsville High School, at Fayetteville Manlius High School, putting on these games. And over time, as we started doing it, it was really cool as a 21, 22-year-old I mean, you're still trying to learn the business. You're still trying to learn the craft. And you're taken seriously by these coaches, by these players, by these, because you are actually giving them attention. The Syracuse sports market is a great sports market, but high school football and high school sports seemingly gets neglected. And it's really an important thing to a lot of those suburban towns, those smaller communities. And even just the first two years we were there and doing part of it, it was really cool to see us get taken seriously to the point that one of my those professional moments that will stand out for me for the rest of my life and still sticks out is that my last game I ever broadcast was a sectional semifinal game between Hanger High School and Fayetteville Manlius done at Cicero North Syracuse High School. And it's one of those moments where you learn that if you do something right, even one person telling you you've done something right is better than a thousand people because you just need one. 
And we did this game, my colleague, Andrew Gunling and Andrew, who is now this big time producer for ESPN radio in New York, a really successful guy. He was our sports director. He and I did this game and it was one of the best high school football games I've ever seen in person. It was just a back and forth, exciting game for a chance to go play in the carrier dome at the sectional final. And we had technical issues at the start, as we always did. We fought through it. We called the game to the best of our abilities. It was a great game. And when the game was over, I was pumped. I said, oh, man, man, that was a fun game. I think we did a great job. And Andrew, who I loved to bits and I still talk with, still friends with, he always had this, dare I say, this droopy dog, just kind of like negative Nancy moment that like just kind of doubted himself at points. And he's like, oh, I, I don't know. The tech issues were a problem and we're not sure. So we left and we let another two guys call the second game. So we're leaving. We're walking down. We're heading out the concourse back to our cars. And I'll never forget hearing this group of about middle-aged men who are talking amongst each other. And the one guy says, oh my God, did, we, did you see the first game? The first game was amazing. It was so much, so good. Did you see it? The other guy goes back to him and goes, no, I, I didn't see it. I wasn't here, but I listened to the whole thing on the radio on the way up. It sounded like a great game. Those guys called a great game. It sounded amazing. Oh. Didn't say a word to those guys. We just kept walking right past. And I just elbowed Andrew. I said, I told you, I told you, we did a good job. And we know just it, when you do radio, anyone who's done radio, even if you're working, whether you're working for a big market station or a small market station, you're talking to a microphone. You don't know if somebody's listening to you. Just to know that one person did and had an impact on it professionally just said, OK, I can do anything at this point. Whether I'm going to work in radio, I got this. And it's stuck with me ever since. And it's so great to see the station now. Friday Night Football has become something we never thought. Like, they do events, music comes, they do tailgates, they give prizes. It's a big deal for these high schools now. Never thought that would happen, but proud to be part of the group that helped bring it back and get it going. So you're actually setting me up pretty well for the next thing I want to ask you both about. And the two of you are a bit of a microcosm here in your career arcs and where you've gone for the Alumni Association. You both started in radio. You both worked on the air. Kevin, you've gone on to management uh, where you are now at your current company, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. Let me come to TJ first. You got into radio. You worked in radio for a little while, and you've done a whole bunch of stuff since. Give me a brief career recap of graduating in 06 and where you've been for the last 16 plus years. Well, my career starts with you. <laughs> Thank you. The microcosm of what JPZ has meant to me and how much it has no hyperbole. Without WJPZ, I do not have the career path I have and the field I'm in. So out of college, doing like many people who want to work in on here, sending out hundreds of tapes, finding every opening from every small market, Dubuque, Iowa. I, I learned all those zip codes over, over time when you were still <laughs> mailing them out and not emailing them. But I met you through WJPZ, through the WJPZ Alumni Association, through banquets. You meet all of these successful, talented, smart people and met you. We were in touch. There was an opening at your group of stations in Burlington, Vermont. And long and short of it is your connection got me to the top of the pile. Somehow I aced the interview. I got my first full-time professional job working as a morning show producer, DJ, news guy, production specialist, small town radio, jack of all trades specialist in Burlington, Vermont. And I'm going to stop you there for a second, TJ. This is really what we do as an alumni association. Yep. My very first job out of school, Jeff Wade hired me to be a board up in Providence, Rhode Island. And the reason I got to my first full-time job there at what was then Clear Channel in Burlington, Vermont, was a connection that Josh Wolf made for me. So Josh's boss knew the boss in Burlington, and that's how I got in there. So 
here I am meeting you at Banquet, sent me your stuff. I'm like, this guy just got out of college. He wants to be producer on a classic rock station. Okay, well, you know, I, I've met him and he's got JPZ behind his name, so he's obviously right. qualified. Let me give his name and sure enough, you ended up getting the gig. I might have given you a little nudge, but that was your own skill set that got you that gig. Well, thank you. So what I said to people both from Syracuse and without from that moment on is I got to do my dream job. I got paid to work in radio. But my dream job was not my dream reality. As so many of us have found out, I got to see firsthand what working in radio is like when people get the zig. Yeah. Dad, yourself included. I'm literally three weeks before Christmas, watching multiple people get the zig, taking on more responsibilities, just being miserable, working with quite possibly the worst program director <laughs> I could have imagined, which everyone has a bad PD at some point. I had my own. And just decided I'd had enough. Terrible apartment, by the way. You could have done way better than that apartment. There's probably mold still growing on top of the mold in that apartment. I don't want to even think about it. I remember hearing you were right on the lake. I guess it was not always cracked up to be. Just because you have a lake view doesn't mean you have a good place to live on the lake, is my point. Fair enough. We did share a really fun New Year's Eve in Burlington, though. Yes, well, it was less in Burlington and more in Quebec, but that's another story for another day. Um, so I got out. I went back to grad school, got my grad degree at Case Western Reserve in Cleveland, took the first job I could out of grad school that I could get because it was the recession of 08, had no pathway of what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to work. And I got into a career path in healthcare software that I was so miserable. I was burnt out. And Kevin knows this, how much I talked. Like I was getting paid okay, but it wasn't worth it. I just was struggling. And then this is where the JPZ group comes in for a second time is that I talked with Kevin all the time about our careers, about different things. And Kevin was working, and I don't want to spoil his story professionally, but he, as well as Dan Austin, JPZ Hall of Famer Dan Austin, were both people who were like, you know, knowing you, I know you're out of radio. You should really look at radio sales. I know you didn't want to work anymore in radio. I know Clear Channel has been soiled for you, but you're in Madison. At the time, I was in Madison, Wisconsin. And he's like, Madison's a good market. At least have the conversation. I said, okay. I went out and I interviewed with two different radio station groups. One, another corporate group that I actually ended up getting a job offer from. And I got an offer from a locally owned group of stations there that it just felt different. It felt like the radio I wanted to be in, even though I wasn't going to be on air, I was going to be in sales and marketing. And I said, okay. So I got a job and I learned that being in sales stinks. Being in sales is one of the toughest things in the world you can do. I have the utmost respect for anyone who works in sales because cold calling and everything associated with it just is miserable. But that job was the single most important job I ever got, thanks to some of the advice I got from these guys, because it taught me all about marketing and branding. Once I did get clients, I got to work with them to create marketing plans and communication strategies. And I was like, oh, so this is what I wanted to do. And I knew over time as my uh, base salary was going away and it had to become all commission, I'm like, well, the clock is ticking. I've got to get out of this. I got to get into it. And I ended up getting a job with pre-multiple mergers Hewlett Packard on their marketing communications team. And they said, oh, it's also a remote job. You can work from wherever. That was the job that got me to move back to my hometown of Cleveland, where I've been now for the last decade. And since then, I've moved a couple of different places. I've worked in for HP for four years. I've worked in commercial real estate. I worked for one of the biggest brands in the world, Progressive Insurance, in my hometown of Cleveland, and now have worked my way up to be a senior content strategist for one of the largest independent financial advising companies in the country, Edelman Financial Engines, 
doing nothing but marketing communications, writing, branding. I now say I'm a decade plus marketing communications professional. I'm a content writer. I do all those skills I would learned in college and at JPZ. I now do it in something that if you told me in 2005, this is what I'd be doing, I'd say you're crazy. But it's what I love to do. It's what I'm good at. And it took a couple of JPZ connections and some help and support to get me there. And without it, I'm not here. And you're back in your hometown going to uh, Guardians games. I'm going to get that right. Yes. With your lovely wife, Karen, who we've all met and love. She's the ultimate married into it. She wears the I've married into this group. She knows more of JPZ inside jokes than some JPZers do at this point, which is just as she's looking at me in the other room right now, just shaking her head. She's part of this community now, too. She's the true quintessential person of when I told her when we started dating and I was telling her about all of the friends you're going to meet, you you think you talk about people you went to college with. Yeah. Kevin and I went to college. But when I talk about Jag, when I talk about Matt Friedman, class of 94, Chris Filardi, class of 95, people who are about a decade older than me, but also Crystal Lepard, class of 2012. Liz Doyen, class of 20, like people who are about 10 years younger than me. This is what going to college with these people are like. And the first time you tell someone about it, they kind of go, really? But then over time, you learn this is how this group is like. Same way for my wife as well. Well, now that TJ, you've talked about how much you hate radio sales. Let's move over to Kevin and talk about his career. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, I hate your job, buddy. (laughs) <laughs> I love my and, job. And tell me about your career path uh, from JPZ and because you started on air, right? Yeah, I did. I started on air. Um, like many, wanted to get on air out of school. You know, I'd send my air check tapes around, Jag, I'd flip them over to you and, you know, I'd ask for pointers uh, as well as some of the other alums uh, of JPZ. I actually didn't get my first gig because of the JPZ network. I had sent air checks out all throughout the country and I got a call back from West Palm Beach, WRMF. So I got my first job and it was interesting because the general manager at WRMF was actually from Syracuse. So it okay. wasn't a Syracuse JPZ connection, but she uh, had had worked and, and went to college at Syracuse. So I started there on air and shortly into my time being on air there, I realized I was living in one of the wealthiest cities of the world, making air in the US, making barely any money. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, this sales thing, uh, speak of WJPZ alums, Dan Austin, who I became very close to uh, in school and even more so after college. It's like, hey, you should try the sales thing. And if it works out for you, give me a call. And uh, sure enough, I uh, convinced the sales manager uh, in the building to give me a sales job. This was after he told me that I could not do sales. And I went to a local car wash that would listen to me on nights at WRMF. And they'd always call in and say, hey, we love your show, like love listening to you. And uh, I went there one day and I said, hey, I need you to do me a favor. I was like, if I could have you advertise during my show, would you do it? And they're like, yeah, like, absolutely. I said, okay, I have really no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to just put like a schedule together for you. I need you to sign it. Wow. And when the sales manager basically calls me out and says, how did you do this? Who helped you with this? And I tell him it was me who did it. And he calls you. I need you to verify that and tell him that you will only do this ad buy if I become an account executive at that radio station. And uh, I played out just like that. Wow. I had no idea what I was selling and for how much. I actually charged a really good rate, I was told, at the end of the day. (laughs) You had good instincts from the beginning, Kevin. I guess so. I took it to the sales manager and he starts, you know, oh, did this rep or that rep, who helped you with this? Like, you didn't do this. I'm like, no, I did. Like, call this guy. Like, call him. Pick up the phone and call him. 
And sure enough, he did. And I uh, told him that I went in there and that he would only do the ad campaign if he gave me a sales job. I did the sales job for about a year or two. I made that phone call to Dan Austin, who was the uh, GM at the time at Citadel pre-Cumulus up in Syracuse. For those of the JPZers listening, that was the uh, evil empire known as 93Q. Right. And I had actually DJed there my senior year. The 93Q automated hotline. I had DJed on 93Q. TJ uh, had given me some great content on air when I would call him. Um, I'd say, hey, I'll meet you at Chuck's at 11. But in the meantime, I need you to call into the show and have some fun with some listeners. And uh, the also fun part about that, we never really shared that story. But at the same time, I was doing nights in 93Q, a fellow 07 uh, grad, Ralph Aversa, Ralphie, little Ralphie at the time, uh, Ralphie was doing nights at Hot. I was going to ask you about that next. This was like the two great rival radio stations of WJPZ for a generation. It was 93Q. And then later, as we all came up, it was more Hot 107.9. And here you are on opposite each other, toe to toe at the same time on 93Q and Hot 107.9. And Ralphie and I have so much love for each other. We had love for each other at that time. Uh, You know, after our show, sometimes we'd run into each other at Fagan's or Chuck's. And uh, we just thought it was so cool. Like we didn't really see each other as competitors. We just thought it was so cool that, you know, we were doing commercial radio at night during our senior year of college on competing top 40 radio stations. So getting that job a few years later, you know, working under Dan Austin, and that was where I really crafted my sales talent. Dan, and still to this day, is just a tremendous sales coach, uh, just a tremendous leader. He's just so good. And I learned a lot from him. And uh, being able to kind of go back to Syracuse was weird, you know, going back there as an adult and not as a student. Yeah. That's where I really got into sales and really enjoyed it. Um, I had a brief stop in Seattle and then spent 12 years after that at Town Square Media uh, in Albany, New York. Then uh, just about eight months ago, uh, I left for a corporate job at Beasley Media Group. And that had a little bit of a JPZ connection as well, because uh, our CEO here at Beasley, uh, Caroline Beasley, was actually a keynote speaker a couple of years ago at the WJPZ banquet. Right. I sat at the table with her. I probably talked to her for about 90 seconds. And uh, the next day, her brother, uh, Brian, who's the COO at Beasley, just called me up and said, hey, my sister told me that I need to talk to you. Wow. Here we are. And let's have a conversation. It took him three years to get me to come over, but I've been joining it ever since. And I'm involved in the day-to-day operations of, you know, 60 plus radio stations all throughout the country. And I love that that Beasley connection also happened because of another JPZer who was in my town, was in Cleveland, Jeff Kirkjian. When he got his first job out of college out of JPZ in Cleveland, we became very good friends because he didn't know a lot of people in Cleveland. So, of course, I looked out for him and we hung out a bunch of times as Clevelanders and just had a great time. And, of course, when his station, dare I say, went to hell... Yeah. He ended up getting out and getting a job. I don't want to speak for Jeff, but I know he got out and got a great job out in Vegas for Beasley. And one thing leads to another, to another, to another. So it is that continuation. JPZ is one giant game of Kevin Bacon connections that just keeps going <laughs> on and on and on and changes lives every which way we go. Kevin, I want to come back to your story because in Albany, correct me if I'm wrong, you went from sales manager to general manager and that got you into the whole upper management levels of things. Do I have that right? Yeah, I started um, I started as a local sales manager. Uh, I was promoted after a couple of years to director of sales. Uh, after a couple of years, I was promoted to chief revenue officer, general manager for the group. That was my role 
the last four years before uh, joining Beasley. Any other lessons or JPC stuff you want to hit on? I pick people's brains on different topics every day. And it's nice and people pick my brains on it. It's just nice to have such an amazing group of people that we can always, everything from things we do professionally about writing better, connecting better, selling better to, do you know someone in this town who does this business? That's all I'll say is that we all network like crazy, but this network has more often than not come through for me. And hopefully I've come through for them in ways that keep going to this day. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Since it was alluded to earlier, I'll ask you to tell the New Year's Eve Burlington, Vermont story. Oh, dear God. <laughs> and Kevin, I'll let you tell this one. I was a senior. Uh, TJ was his first uh, job out of school. And uh, I decided to go up there for New Year's. We were going to watch the Rose Bowl. Uh, Michigan and USC were going to play. And uh, just go out and have a great time New Year's Eve. As many of you know that are close to TJ knows that he is more Canadian than most Canadians. Um, and we were out, is it Church Street? What's the main street in Burlington? Church Street Marketplace, downtown Burlington. I had a couple of pops, you know, as they say. And uh, TJ was drinking some waters. He was okay. And we were out there and uh, the ball drops. And, you know, we were having a good time, but we were hungry. And I was, you know, I was thinking, can we go to Tim Hortons? Like, where is the nearest Tim Hortons? Now, we had done a little research about this earlier in the day and <laughs> didn't know if it would actually really happen or not. To add to that, just to seal the deal, we looked at every Tim Hortons that was closest to the border and we started calling them to see if they were. Remember, this is 2006. You don't have the detailed Google map updates. Yeah. But we have the phone numbers. We call nothing. We call nothing. As I'm making a call, I, we're in my apartment. I look over at Kevin and he goes uh, 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 and hangs up his flip phone. I'm like, what happened? They said, they picked up. I'm going, well, why didn't you say anything? They were speaking French. Of course they were speaking French. It's Quebec, you idiot. <laughs> so I finally figured out, I was like, wait a minute. We have to ask them if they're open 24 hours. So I pull up the Babelfish translator. I type in, are you open 24 hours into Babelfish? I said, give me your phone. I call back the number. Bonjour, Etienne Hortan. Et vet ou de 24 heures. She said, we. I said, we? She said, we. I said, merci. I think at the time we were just, it was funny. It was cool. I didn't know if it would really happen. I mean, we're going out on Church Street for New Year's Eve. But uh, I looked at him. He looked at me. We decided we were going to do it. And about 15 minutes into crossing the border, which, by the way, getting through the border was no problem whatsoever. By the way, what time is this by the time you decide to go and get the hour or so up to the border? 1245 at night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We get about 15 minutes through past the border and ice is like falling from the sky. Like. <laughs> Not even snow. It's like a pure ice storm. And we were committed. And credit to this guy for driving through it. Thank you, Subaru Outback. We get to the Tim Hortons in St. John's Sarishalu, which is a <laughs> southern um, southern suburb of Quebec. We roll up. I had to go to a gas station, which is a whole other story, to get Canadian money. And petrol. Right. Cash exchange. And uh, we walk in at about, two. what was it, two in the morning, Teach? 
It's close to two. Yep. Two in the morning and everything comical that could happen at Tim Hortons at two o'clock in the morning was happening. Number one, no English. So we were trying to figure out how to order and what to do. Number two. Pointing at Timbits. Pointing, pointing. It was great. (laughs) It was like a a family there with like young kids and DJ's like yelling about, what are you doing with your kids at two o'clock at night at Tim Hortons? I've never seen a bigger crowd at Tim Hortons in my life. And it was two in the morning on New Year's Day. So we get the food. We have a great time. You know, the weather's getting a little bit better. So now we're driving back to Burlington and we had some uh, extra Timbits with us. TJ had his coffee. We were good to go. So we get to the border. It's probably about four in the morning. And of course, any of you that have ever traveled over the border know that getting into Canada is never a problem. It's always getting right. So of course, the border patrol agents ask us where we were. Which we tell them we were at Tim Hortons. Now, keep in mind, this is New Year's Eve and we're, what, 22, 23 yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. It's New Year's Eve. We tell him that we went to Canada to go to Tim Hortons. <laughs> PJ's got a Vermont license, but Ohio State or Ohio like state plates, right? Or it was Ohio. Vermont, Vermont car license with an Ohio driver's license. That's right. right. Okay. I had a Florida license because my residence at the time was Florida because my dad had moved to Florida. I had a Florida license, but a passport issued in Michigan. So that was all a mess too. I think what really was the final straw was when TJ offered the Border Patrol agent Timbits. <laughs> the guy goes, just pull over and come inside. So we were pretty convinced that these guys thought we were on drugs or doing something we really shouldn't be doing. To the point that while we were sitting there, the Border Patrol agents were on their computer. They're doing all these things. We look to the left at TJ's car and they were shredding open his spare tire to look for drugs. And if you know TJ, he was not cool with that. And I really had to just, hey, we just need to get out of here. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, you don't want to pick a fight with the Border Patrol agents. No, I did not know how to handle things calmly at that time. Do you now though? Do you now? I'm a lot better than I used to be, but yeah, if you see blood vessels popping out my bald head, then it's a different story. So we're sitting there and we're like, we've got no convictions here. We knew what we were doing. Like there was nothing wrong with what we were doing. There was one border patrol agent that was cool. I think he thought we were good. There was the other one that was just trying to like figure out a way to bust us for something. (laughs) Freaking Barney Fife wannabe. (laughs) He walks in with a sheet of paper and he looks at us and he goes, all right, guys, is there anything you want to tell me? And we're like, what do you want us to tell you? He's like, where were you? So we're looking and we see, and this is before, you know, phones with Google Maps and all that. We see that he's got MapQuest directions. So he's probably thinking whatever we MapQuested is whatever shady business we were getting into. Whatever crack house you went to in Quebec. We had MapQuested how to get to Tim Hortons. So we explained to him, yes, Tim Hortons, look at that. Like, yes. And sure enough, he opens it up, goes and does the search and sees that we were at Tim Hortons and the other Border Patrol agent pats him on the back and says, hey, you got to let him go. Wow. That was our experience. Now, on the way out, TJ did start to say, well, what about my tire? And I just grabbed him. (laughs) I can totally picture that. Those were moments that like I never would have been able to share with somebody if we hadn't developed this amazing friendship from our time at JPZ. And those stories... We have so many good ones, but nothing will ever top that moment. So many moments and memories in so many different cities. And again, it is that life-changing moment. I can say, Kevin said it before, I met the best man, my best friend through JPZ and has stuck with it ever since. And I can't say enough about that. 
That is a great place to leave it. I want to thank you both for your time today and a great story that I think a lot of our listeners probably had not heard before. So we've got a lot of JPZ stories. This is a story that was possible, as you said, Kevin, because of JPZ. I want to congratulate you both on all your tremendous success in your career and thank you for all you've given to both the station and to the Alumni Association and look forward to seeing you both in March. Jag, this has been a blast. Thank you for all you're doing for this and for all these stories, many stories that I know and listening to this that I've heard and many that I'm going, holy hell, I've never heard this before. I love it. On behalf of the WJPZ Alumni Association, thank you for doing this. You know, 50 incredible years at JPZ, so many memories, so many people that have come through those studios or uh, the knock at the door, you know, all that, uh, the, the folklore and history of JPZ. But for you to capture so much of this uh, leading up to our 50th year and our big banquet coming up. Uh, we're really appreciative of everything you're doing. Thank you very much. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.